When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 9, episode 38. This is Writing Excuses Q&A at Westercon. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm Mary. I'm Howard. And we have guest star Peter O'Rulian again. Thank you, Peter. <laughs> and we are just going to let people throw questions at us and we're going to hope that they work. As a person who is pursuing publication, how do you handle giving star rate reviews or written reviews to books that you read on Goodreads or such, or do you even do it at all anymore? Mm, good question. Um, I will give very good reviews to books that I like and no reviews whatsoever to the books that I hate. I have I have the same rule. I yep. will review books that I love. I don't talk about books that I don't love. And I actually have a little disclaimer in mind that says, Brandon reviews books that he likes. If you see a review here, it's going to be a, a four or a five star review because I'm only reviewing the ones I enjoyed. The exception for me is that I will do a full thing of uh, nonfiction because I feel like I can be much more yeah. objective mm-hmm. about this book is factually correct and this book is well and part of the reason that we're all acting this way is these are our friends and this is our community um and people don't look to us we're we're not critics first they don't look to us for critics they look for us for to us for a good book to read um and so if they're coming to us they want something good to read so it's fine for us to only promote the things that we think are good to read yeah i will pan the crap out of a movie Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's because I don't know any filmmakers, and that's why there will never be a schlock mercenary movie. And frankly, I don't even finish books I don't like, so I couldn't yeah. review them. So my question is actually came from my wife. When I write, I get very obsessive about it. It's all I think about, all I talk about, eat, sleep is what I'm writing. So my wife wanted me to ask, uh, how do you... Cu- uh, compartmentalize that how do you work on your writing and and keep it when you're writing and when you're with your loved ones and your family how to separate your work from your day life basically. may i may i speak directly to your wife yes he can't <laughs> <laughs> it's it's part of the way the, the brain works um, unfortunately once the story grabs you it grabs you So what you have to recognize is that there are times when that vacant expression is going to go across the face as he's suddenly figured out the plot problem and and embrace that that is part of why you love him is that that's how his brain works. Um, As far as compartmentalizing, you know, also recognizing that that he does need to 
to set boundaries. And if those boundaries are clearly communicated to the family, then it becomes much easier for the family to recognize when work is happening and when play is happening. Yeah, Sandra and I have this... Uh, can she raise her hand? Who's the person up to? There she is. Okay. Um, uh, Sandra and I have this, this same issue where we'll be talking about a thing in the kitchen and suddenly I will go silent as that I suddenly realize, oh, that's that thing. And Sandra will do one of two things. She will either stop talking because the moneymaker is running or she will actually reach out and, and tell me, honey, I need you here right now because I need help with the kids and these things have to be made to happen. And that's the point at which I have to not get pissed and maybe write something down on an index card and then go be responsible. You also can't take it as you're not a priority or the top priority. I have this conversation with my wife all the time and I have little ones. They absolutely are the, 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 my, you know, the loves of my life. In fact, much of the reason I do the fiction is ho hopefully to support them. I would do it anyway, of course, but it doesn't change the priority, your priority in, in his life, or it shouldn't. The thing my wife will also do, she'll say this, hey, I need you here now, and I, do, I try really hard to be present when we're actually having a conversation, and if I get that story and I need to go somewhere else in my mind, I'll say, hey, I got, a, I got this thing, and then she understands. But if I just go vacant and don't say anything about I know when it's coming, so I just alert her, hey, goodbye. <laughs> Dan, were you going to... Oh, I was just going to add, you know, as you compartmentalize things like time, it, it can help, and not, ev not every family can do it this way. It can help to compartmentalize your space as well. You know, if you've got an office or a desk or a work area and say, while I am here, I am thinking about work, and then it helps your family and it helps you as the writer to say, once I step away from this space, I'm dad or I'm husband or I'm whoever else. Um, that, that helps me a lot. I'm going to the bathroom. Yeah, and if you, don't have a, if you don't have a space, but some sort of marker that you can put on your desk that is like, you know, when the... At our writing retreat, yeah. those were brilliant. Yeah, we, we have signs. Actually, on my, we'll put it in the liner notes. We have signs that uh, you can print out and put on your desk, writing, goofing off, and other work. So the family knows what headspace you're in. My kids now know. They know the bacon expression. So then they'll start, and I'll just bring them in. And I'll ask them, what would you do? And I had my son the other day said, well, put cheeseburgers in. So, you know, you can involve them in the process sometimes. Did you? Uh, no, because it was like this weird medieval thing. Yeah, i got to figure out another name for cheeseburgers. Medieval cheeseburger. Medieval Hot cheeseburger. sandwich? <laughs> they don't have sandwich yet. Okay. We're Hot beef in bread. <laughs> Um, so coming from a horror writing background, I just kind of wanted to get some tips uh, relative to creating unique, frightening creatures. Um, especially, you know, with Dan and Brandon, I've seen some pretty scary ones. So so how do you create frightening, unique creatures? Um, coming up, like, with your own monsters, you know, because you don't want to just use a vampire, a mummy, or whatever. Uh, the two things that I like to think about are, first of all, um, does, does, does the, the reason the monster is scary will probably have something to do with a loss of control. That is one thing that will terrify more adults than anything else is I am no longer in control of my life or my brain or my body or whatever it is. When we lose control, that's when we get scared. Uh, the other one is how similar is that monster to a human? Because something that looks familiar but isn't 
or looks familiar but is suddenly revealed to be incredibly unfamiliar, that can be scary. That's why zombies are scary in large part, is because they look like us, but they're very much not us. In the books that I'm doing, which are generally epic fantasy, I'm looking for um, what do people tell stories about by the fire to scare one another. And I use the lore to, to, to build up the fright more than the creature itself. Um, looking toward history and our own culture and what we do, we get more scared by stories of things than the actual monsters. Yeah, the horror that I did for Privateer Press, uh, I focused entirely upon the reader, the, the reader's experience as they're you know, watching the protagonist. Uh, their experience is, no, don't do that. Oh, no, don't do that. Oh, no, if you do that, then you've, oh, no. It wasn't about the monster at all. Um, the, uh, uh, the other horror that I've done, it's science fiction monsters. I'll just go with straight up sci-fi because I put them in a setting where, as you know, Dan has said, they've lost control. Doesn't really matter what the beastie looks yeah. like. The the thing I would say is that it actually doesn't matter what the monster looks like. It is your main character's reaction to the monster. Hey, writers, are you thinking about learning a new language? I think exploring the world, experiencing other cultures, and being able to communicate with people outside your everyday experience lets you create richer, better stories. A great way to do that is with Rosetta Stone, a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users in 25 languages offered. They use an immersive technique which leads to fast language acquisition. It's an intuitive process that helps you really learn to speak, listen, and most of all think in the language you're trying to learn. They also feature true accent speech recognition technology that gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's like having a voice coach in your home. Learn at home or on the go with a desktop and mobile app that let you download and access lessons even when you're offline. And it's an amazing value. A lifetime membership gives you access to all 25 languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Japanese, and, of course, Korean. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Writing Excuses listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at lifemd.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. 
And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Let's stop for our book of the week. Dan, you are going to promote this for us. Yes, the book of the week is Spellcaster by Claudia Gray. Uh, Fantastic YA paranormal romance, which is not the kind of thing you would expect me to promote to you, but uh, Claudia's work is really good. Spellcaster is about witches and uh, using this really, really fascinating magic system where kind of the components used to cast the spells are memories. And so the, the kind of life you have led and the experiences that you have had change the flavor of your magic and change the way that you cast it in very particular ways that connects directly into the plot and to the main villain. Um, It's a really wonderful book, and I recommend it very highly. Audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. Start a 30-day free trial membership, and what was it called? Witches? Spellcaster. Spellcaster. (sighs) Sorry. By Claudia Gray. Go get it. Okay, next question. So what should we as prospective authors be doing, especially at this con and future cons, to be making professional contacts, especially with editors and agents? Ooh. Yeah. First of all, Thank you for phrasing that. It's a very brilliant question. question. Brilliantly <laughs> succinct. I don't want to slam everybody else's question, but <laughs> really, yeah. <laughs> he started with a question word. Um, so one thing, uh, not helpful for people here, for people uh, in the listening audience, <laughs> come to my schmoozing 101 panel today. <laughs> um, but. Uh, One of the things to recognize is that everybody is here because they love the same thing, science fiction and fantasy. So when you're talking to someone, talk about the things that you have in common. Don't try to come up with, let me talk business to you, because they are they are as much a fan as they are anything else. So when you approach someone, find the common ground. You know, find out what their particular geekdom is. And in fact, that's a that that is a very good opening question. What's your geekery? Yeah, I would say that um, engaging them, particularly editors and agents, if you can find them, number one, you want to find them. Look through the program book. Any con you go to, there's, they're going to put these people on panels if they can get away with it. Some will try to stealth it. A lot of the agents will. But they'll put them on, on panels. You can start you know, looking at the guest list. Go to their panels so that you can identify them and listen to them. And then if you get a chance to meet them, which often there are lots of parties at these sorts of cons, that's part of why people come to them is to mingle. Um, The agents and editors are here on business most of the time. Um, Engage them about what they're working on. Mm -hmm. Not, yeah. When Brandon and I met Moshe, who was our editor at Tor, we'd been uh, trying to contact people all weekend at World Fantasy, and we kept, you know, asking the blunt, dumb questions you're not supposed to ask. And by the time we got to Moshe, we just said, what are you working on right now? And he talked to us about Bigfoot for an hour and then accepted both of our mm-hmm. manuscript things to read. So, <laughs> yep. it and was so awesome. the, I mean, the take home there is that if you find an editor, go up to them and say, do you like Bigfoot? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but get that program book, find the people, um, ask around and say, hey, are there any editors or agents you, you know that are attending? Um, and be making contacts also with other uh, as you put it, perspective um, writers, um, so that if so that you have a network and context and people to go to cons with. I, I, the thing I would add to is just really this sounds so cliche, but be yourself. Mm. You can smell when someone's on the prowl and they're, they're and they're you know they're trying to grind an axe and they're they're trying to make contacts and make be a mover and shaker. 
Usually the best conversations I've had when I was just sitting in a con suite and a conversation about something got, you know, started. And we just had a conversation and I ended up after it was all over with someone's email address. You know, a great writer like Brandon or an editor or an agent. And if you do that enough, over time your own, you know, your own, call them friends. Don't call them contacts. Right? That's, uh, this sounds well, corny, but... Uh, telling a story here on Peter, we did an episode a few weeks ago, or maybe it's an episode that's coming, where we talked about your editorial relationship and how it had kind of gone south. And I remember at the convention, in the con suite, you sitting down with a bunch of us, guys that you'd met at a convention, mm -hmm. asking us for advice. And that's why you build these relationships, is so that... You gotta. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one one thing I do want to say. One danger that that may come in from calling people friends. Do not mistake friendly for friend. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, just because you have had a conversation with someone that was pleasant, does not mean that they are your new That's friend. Right. Yeah. right. Well. Or, yeah. But to put Peter on the spot, he's very good at this. Talk to him <laughs> sometime. Grab him because I remember when Peter was first breaking in. You know, Peter would you, you talk to him and say. Who's that Peter Rulian guy? And every person said, I don't know, but he's really nice. Every single person I talked to. Um, and that was the impression that Peter left on people was, Peter is a really nice, earnest guy. That was the first show. The second show, mm -hmm. who's this Peter? Oh, he's, one, he's my friend. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Jerk. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we love you. See how it works? Yeah. Okay. Next question. All right. So back to the earlier topic about, uh, like, getting the lightning striking. Okay. Uh, is there a certain yield to the ideas you get, like certain number of words, or mm. depending, like an average yield, and like how do you expand that? Oh, yeah. Basically, um, what you look at. This is my rule of thumb. Uh, you can't really tell from the idea itself, but once you start looking at the idea and, and kind of figuring out. Um, how many plot threads, how many characters, and how many scenic locations you have, mm -hmm. you can start to get an, an estimate. R and this is really, this is like really rough ballparky thing. Uh, but every character you have will add 500 to 1,000 words to your scene or story. Uh, and uh, likewise, scenic locations. And then plot threads will double or triple those because you have to hit the plot thread with you know, multiple times for the characters. So I get an instinct for it, for me personally, for this is an idea that you can hang entire story on, or this is an idea that will flavor another story in an interesting way. Yeah. Um, and, and that, an idea that I give, that we both write on, you could hang the whole story on it and it could work. And for me, it could only be a flavor. It's just your own writing style. Mm -hmm. So you'll just learn by instinct what carries a story and what doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. What I have learned with my own writing, for example, is if I come up with an idea first, then that is going to get me one book or one story. Whereas if I come up with a character first, that's going to get me a series or a much longer story because just because of the way that I work and, and the things that get me excited about writing. I can milk one idea for 14 years. <laughs> <laughs> Sentient looks like poop. So I... I love the quote, most new fantasy books fail because they're either too much like Tolkien or not enough like Tolkien. So when you're building a new world, what rules do you follow and what rules do you break? I follow Sanderson's zeroth law, err on the side of what's awesome. <laughs> um, and I'm just going to say, you're, you're talking about epic fantasy. Everyone's threshold there is different. What you're really talking about is the blend of the familiar and the strange. 
Um, look up, Google the term strange attractor. Terry Rossio wrote a great essay on this. But every genre and every reader within that genre is going to have a different desire for what's new and what's familiar. And it's, the books are not failing based on that, I really think. The books are failing based on how well the writer is able to sell it. If a writer can write a really fantastic idea that's been done a hundred times before and do it really well, it will still sell and find an audience and people will love it. Yeah. Pat Rothfuss danced yeah. through a minefield of tropes with mm -hmm. uh, uh, Name of the Wind and it is a fantastic book. So write what you're passionate about, decide what you think is awesome and write that. And yes, if it's got a bunch of elves and dwarves, it's gonna be hard to get me to read it. But that's not to say I won't. Um, and there are a group of people out there that just love that. Um, and so, yeah. write what's in your heart. I remember when Elantris came out, mm -hmm. and uh, you know there was this huge audience that grabbed it and said, this is so unique and original, it's different from all the other fantasies. And then there were other fans, and I remember specifically a, a China Mieville -like message board that was like, Elantris is so hackneyed, and we've seen this stuff a thousand times before. You know, different audiences look for different things, and you're never going to be able to please all of them, so please yourself. What can you do in critique groups or writing groups to help each other learn the, the craft if you're avoiding prescriptive writing and you have lots of inexperienced writers, or are you just pooling your ignorance? Ooh. I look at it as that it's a it's a process that you're you're breaking different techniques apart and that you, when you're first going in what you're learning to do is identify like with a brand new group saying okay well first i'm going to learn to identify there is a problem here and then the next level once i've learned to identify there is a problem here then i will figure out this is how now the next thing i need to learn is can I identify what is causing the problem? And if once you know what is causing a problem, frequently the answer will present itself. And that's the, the third la layer of training. When you have a group of people who are all new, you are going to get a different level of critique, but that's not a bad thing. And, and I would add that uh, you know, having critiquers who are not experienced authors is not a problem at all. Yeah. And, and in fact, most of the writing groups that I've been in, we kind of make a conscious effort to have non-writers who don't write at all uh, in the group as well because most of your writing group, even if they're not experienced as writers, they are experienced readers. So they can identify those problems now and let, then you can help. Let's point out, you do want a few writers in your group Definitely too. a oh, few. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. we mix it and I've found that, for instance, you know, Peter Alstrom, uh, my editorial assistant, is in our writing group and he often gives the best comments because he's a professional editor and he knows his stuff. Um, so yeah, you can, you can find people like that. They don't have to be professional editors that will be great in your critique you know, group. One, one thing that uh, my group has done uh, that I think answers this in terms of uh, educating each other uh, without being prescriptive is that after the feedback has come around, I might ask the group, you know, yeah. so if this is the list of problems you had, what if back two chapters ago, I introduced this person just in a couple of sentences. Would that solve this problem? Um, and because what that does is that lets people see into my head a little bit how I'm doing it. And if everybody is doing that, uh, you'll learn a little bit more about how everybody's writing and maybe the rising tide will lift more ships. Sorry, one thing that I'm going to add to that is that 
just because you aren't handing out the prescription doesn't mean you can't think about it.、Mm-hmm. So I do think about how I would fix somebody else's story, and then if I get if I read a later draft of it, I compare that their actual fix to what I would have done, and that tells me a lot. All right, okay, well, we have、question. one more question, then we'll be done. How strongly do you believe that the audience won't remember what you tell them, but it's more of how it made them feel, and how does that shape your voice as you write? I firmly believe that they will forget things because they do <laughs> all the time. That question's good enough for a can of worms. But, yeah.、Uh, take a take a stab at when I say can of worms, we could do a whole episode just talking about that.、Um, for me,、uh, I I don't want them to forget it. I put it in the story. I hope that they'll remember it, and I get burned all the time because. It's for me. It's what function is the thing serving in the story?、Uh, if it is a a plot point issue where mechanically to understand what happens later in the story, you have to be able to remember this thing. <laughs> so for those of you watching who are not watching the video feed, the entire ballroom just went dark. And when the lights came back on, three of us were dead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to say, for me on this, I want people to come out of my book saying, "That was awesome. That was incredible. That was amazing." And if that alone stays with them, I've succeeded. Yeah,、um, yeah I would. I would agree with that. Like this sounds corny too, so I'm the corny guy this time. But I want people to come out hopeful.、Mm-hmm. Um, I know that there are there are there are waves in fantasy that、um, issue that idea, but I very much at the end want people to, to feel hopeful. And I, I remember reading a whole bunch of James Lee Burke. Uh, books. I have no idea what they were about, but I know the feeling that they gave me.、Um, I think, and I think a lot of readers are like. There's also the guys that remember the combination to the safe on book five, you、mm-hmm. know, page five. But all right, this has been writing excuses. I'm going to give our writing prompt that I prepared for another episode, but Howard stole it. Uh, the writing prompt and 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 did a really cool one about magic cars, which is way better.、Um, your writing group,、uh, write, writing prompt is to write about a support group for writers, not a writing group, not a critique group, a support group for writers. This has been writing. <laughs> please develop that and tell me where to sign up. <laughs> <laughs> This has been writing excuses. You're out of excuses now. Go write. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at lifemd.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. The medication comes in the mail, and it's very easy to use. I've been able to live my normal lifestyle, and I've lost 20 pounds already, and I've never felt better. It changed my life. And here's the best part: your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to trylifemd.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for one twenty-nine each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty-nine a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.